0: Good afternoon. It's Monday, the tenth of May, twenty twenty-one. Just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson. Myself, Brian Gerrish, and we're delighted to be joined by David Scott, bringing us Northern Exposure from north of the border. Relax. A just in time. Just, just in time <laughs> delivery. Yes. Right. Look, uh, we're going to get straight
1: on with the MHRA now. Brian has been uh, uh, reporting the situation with adverse reactions for quite some time now, but let's uh, come back to November last year, uh, because the MHRA uh, produced this tender, they advertised this tender. Uh, This was a contract already awarded, uh, and it was for one and a half million pounds for an AI system to record adverse reactions from the COVID-19 vaccines. Um, This is what they said about it. Uh, The MHRA urgently seeks an artificial intelligence software tool to process the expected high volume of COVID-19 vaccine adverse drug reactions uh, and ensure that no details from the uh, adverse drug reaction text are missed. So they were implying at that point that, they, that it was very important to them that uh, uh, everything was recorded uh, and that uh, they needed a new system to do that. The uh, contract was awarded to this company, Genpact. Um, and uh, well, Genpact involved in all kinds of things, uh, commercial lending and leasing, uh, I- IT systems, some AI in there as well. Uh, but anyway, we had some questions for them at the time, if you remember. So we asked uh, the MHRA, as a public body, the MHRA publishes award of contract uh, contracts to comply with procedural legislation, is what they said. Uh, the contract award notice is very is visible uh, globally, uh, and so on. So uh, i got the question in the wrong order. So the question was, uh, why is this being advertised at EU level? Is it also advertised in the UK? Um, so they went on, again, uh What is meant by the expected high volume of COVID-19 vaccine adverse drug reactions? What kind of volume is the MHRA expecting? And they said that a number of previous vaccination campaigns have been considered in order to derive estimates of ADR volumes that might be anticipated in a forthcoming vaccination campaign when a COVID-19 vaccine or vaccines become available. Uh, and they went on to say uh, they went uh, went on to say actual numbers of reports will be dependent on the number of doses administered and the use of concurrent treatments, for example, uh, to manage fevers. Um, and they went on to say that their past experience with other new immunization campaigns is that we tend to receive around one yellow card report per one thousand doses administered, and we're preparing our surveillance systems on that basis. Um, so uh, uh, the next question was. What's meant by the expected high volume of COVID 19 vaccine adverse drug reactions? What kind of volume is the MHRA expecting? And they said that most of these ADRs are mild and short term, and not everyone gets them. Um, So that was their position back in November. It's pretty optimistic. Yes. Um, They said it's important to note that a report of a suspected side effect is not proof that the vaccine caused it, but a suspicion by the reporter that the vaccine may have caused the side effect. Okay. Well, uh, they said that. The key point here was that this uh, contract award broke the uh, procurement rules uh, at the time. And so they they had to justify that. And they justified it by saying that it was strictly necessary because it was not possible to retrofit the MHRA's legacy systems to handle the volume of ADRs that would be generated by a COVID-19 vaccine. Therefore, if the MHRA does not implement the AI tool, it will be unable to process these ADRs effectively. So this was their position. They broke the procurement rules in order to award a 1.5 million pound contract to a company to provide an AI system to handle the adverse drug reactions from the vaccines. Uh, And then, what did they produce uh, when they came to report? Uh, Well, this is the first report I think from January. Actually, this is the April one. But they all they all look the same. It's a spreadsheet with some data on it, Uh, and really, it's extremely difficult, Brian, to query this data and get any sensible uh, idea of what's going on from those spreadsheets
0: very difficult and of course the other thing I think it's reasonable to point out Mike is even compared to the American VAERS system VAERS the American system has got a lot of data about the circumstances in which the vaccine was administered and what then took place none of that is in the yellow card so the yellow card is really the minimal possible data to have something which is meaningful on on the, uh, recorded. Um, so we've
1: been pretty unhappy with the way that this data is being presented by the MHRA, and we felt that in the twenty-first century, it should have been better to do. It should have been possible to do better. Uh, so we decided that we would do better. Uh, we have set up a new website. It's uh, yellowcard.ukcolumn.org. Uh, and you it will it will be available it is available now but it, you'll get a link from the front page of the UK Column website as soon as we're finished the news program this afternoon uh, so that's yellowcard.ukcolumn.org um, and uh, when you go to that link uh, you'll find uh, something that looks a bit like this so we begin with the uh, overview of all four or all three vaccines that are available at the moment plus those are unspecified uh, so But then there's a form underneath, so we've just got a little bit of uh, video to show here to uh, explain how to use this form. So have a listen to this. So this is the page that you're presented with whenever you come to the yellowcard.ukcolumn.org website. And the first thing you see is an overview analysis of all the data from all the various vaccine manufacturers uh, showing the total number of reports the total number of reactions, and the total number of fatalities recorded so far. Now, the latest report run was 29th of April, um, and there'll be another report run bringing that a week forward uh, this week. Um, And as soon as that's available, we will be adding that data. Underneath that, then, you can see a form. At the moment, uh, we can choose to analyze the data from each uh, individual uh, vaccine. In the future, we'll be able to compare these, but at this point, it's every individual vaccine you can choose a category to look at so if we choose for example uh, cardiac disorders and show the results this will obviously be for AstraZeneca Uh, we can show the results for that and we can see the total number of uh, reactions and the total number of fatalities Um, and uh, as we scroll down here these are all cardiac problems Now, we've started the process of explaining what these terms mean, and we're starting to translate them. And so anywhere you see a a little question mark icon there, you can hover over that with your mouse and uh, get an explanation for what that is. Uh, So there's a couple of examples of that. Uh, Here's another one. I'll have a look at that inflammation of the heart muscle. Okay. So um, that's obviously for uh, AstraZeneca. If you want to see cardiac disorders for uh, Pfizer, for example, select Pfizer and show results. And now we have the Pfizer results uh, showing the number of people that have uh, died from heart conditions following vaccination. Now let's uh, set that back to any. Uh, and then we can choose a reaction name. So for example, we could put clot in there and look to see what results there are uh, for each of the vaccines uh, with respect to blood clots of some kind or reactions caused by blood clots. Um, So this is for Pfizer. Again if you want to look at AstraZeneca you just change that to AstraZeneca and uh, click on show results and you get the AstraZeneca results. Let's uh, remove that now and instead choose the number of fatalities. So let's say we want to see all the reactions Uh, which have resulted in 10 or more fatalities, Uh, again, show results. And uh, we can see that cardiac disorders are causing more fatalities. Uh, Death and sudden death uh, are causing fatalities, as you would expect. Uh, And uh, COVID-19 infections, uh, pneumonia, cerebral hemorrhage, uh, and so on. Down the list, thrombosis, uh, 818 cases of thrombosis so far. Um, and uh, 17 fatalities. Um, so that, of course, is a blood clot in a blood vessel. So there, so there we go, Brian,
0: um, what are your thoughts? Well, fantastic bit of work, uh, Mike, by you and the team and uh, a number of people in our chat box have already picked up on that. So what have we got going on here? Well, very simply, it's taken the UK column to grip the whole issue of vaccine adverse effects and to put the data into a form which makes it possible for the UK public to actually access and interrogate that data. So this this is a huge step forward for UK. Somebody has said, well, why wasn't UK Column paid the millions of pounds to set up a proper, um, t- a proper uh, database, an accessible database? Well, that's a very good question, but... Joking aside, this is the important thing. We need to be able to show the real vaccine adverse effects. And remember, the data is not UK column data. This is data from the British government, from the MHRA. But we've taken it from the form they have used, which I'm going to say I believe to be deliberately misleading. You're going to speak a bit more about that in a minute. So we've taken the data and we've put it in a form where each and every member of the UK public can come to that database and interrogate it properly to see what's going on. But we've got a lot more to comment on this, Mike. Yes, David, briefly, welcome to the programme. What are your thoughts?
2: I I think this is a fantastic tool. I I would suggest that uh, Brenda, the data inputter, who has been paid 1.5 million pounds to type this data inaccurately into an Excel spreadsheet might be a little unhappy today, but it's a huge step forward. Uh, I, I was using this. I, I, I suffer from um, one-sided deafness, so I, I, it's something I've got a feel for how how much that is is difficult day to day. So I was looking up deafness um, on this uh, on this system. So the AstraZeneca uh, uh, vaccine, uh, lots of hearing problems. It, it's uh, unilateral deafness, twenty six cases. Deafness generally one hundred and eighty six. Um, that uh, hypoacusis, which uh, you've usually got a little um, explanation of what that means, sudden hearing loss in one or both years, years 111. So for AstraZeneca alone, 186 pe- people have been, have been affected by deafness because, because of adverse reactions. Well, at least that's the number that's been reported, and we know that might be 10% or less of the actual number. Um, it, makes, it makes the information hugely more accessible, Uh, much more understandable and and searchable because finding anything in the information as provided by the government was laborious, difficult and inaccurate.
0: Yeah, and David, I just want to add to that. The other thing which the MHRA had done with the data on the individual um, vaccine manufacturers was that it, it, it had listed the data under different headings depending on which manufacturer they were reporting on. So my take as a simple common sense take on what the mhra was doing is that it has been deliberately obfuscating confusing the data so that it's made it very difficult for the public to understand what's going on so what you what you've done here mike is to is to absolutely bring this data under a magnifying glass so that we can really see what's happening and we're now going to have a look at more of the Uh, dirty tricks and inaccuracies which the MHRA has been using?
1: Well, it's the inaccuracies that really grabbed me because uh, now going back to the first report that they gave, this was the one from January, the the first run that they made. And bearing in mind, they've paid one and a half million pounds of taxpayers money to build an AI system. And I was expecting the AI system to be producing the reports, but clearly not because as we pointed out at the time in January, uh, if you look at this, Uh, line item here, which is reaction named death. This is for AstraZeneca, or certainly this is for uh, Pfizer-BioNTech. Death, uh, they were claiming that there were 59 total deaths as a result of reactions to uh, Pfizer vaccine, which resulted in 53 fatalities. And it seemed uh, very unlikely that that was possible. And if, you know, I'm going to reinforce this, if there's a line item which is wrong like this, how many other line items are wrong? We can't know. And so You would have thought that by the time we get to April and May that this kind of issue would have been resolved. But in fact, it isn't. If we go back to yellowcard.ukcolumn.org and look for AstraZeneca and type suicide into the reaction name uh, and look uh, down here, we find completed suicides, two, which resulted in one death. How is this possible? If a suicide is completed, it means the person killed themselves. So, how is it possible that only that resulted, two completed suicides resulted in one death? It's not just uh, AstraZeneca, it's also Pfizer, uh, because here we've got one completed suicide uh, and zero deaths. Now, I'm quite happy to say that a completed suicide is unlikely to be a direct effect of a vaccine. I, I acknowledge that, but nonetheless, it's on the data, and they should be checking that the data that is correct, that the totals in their columns are correct, And if the totals in one line item are not correct, then how do we know the totals in any other line item are correct?
0: Well, the the answer is we don't, Mike, but as we're going to see in a minute, nothing around this data from MHRA can be trusted. Neither can we trust MHRA to protect the health and well-being of the public because it's clear they do not want to engage in safety. So, um, yellowcard.ukcolumn.org for the details,
1: and there'll be a link on the front page of the main UK Column website as soon as this news program is finished. And we're going to
0: say, please share. Uh,
1: absolutely share it, yes, and use it. And uh, as, you, as you begin to use it, you do start to see interesting uh, patterns and so on. So do start to use it, and there'll be more features being added to that in the coming days and weeks. Uh, but uh, just another website to uh, let you know about, uh, that is COVID-19 vaccine reactions. This I think it's... Uh, covidvaccinereactions.com. And uh, well, they've been taken off so many of the platforms now that they've put up uh, another website uh, to try to to record the personal testimonies of people that have uh, uh, had reactions. Um, And so if that is of interest, go and have a look at it and share that one as well.
0: Okay. Uh, Well, I'll just do a little bit of recap to Friday because um, I'd been looking at the information that Twitter was tweeting out to do with vaccine adverse reactions. Uh, Mike and Pat picked it up on the news on Friday, but I just want to bring it in front of people again uh, because uh, there's a lot to comment on here. So this was one of the tweets that I saw when I was at home. Uh, uh, It's uh, headed VAERS and Yellow Card databases. What you need to know. Uh, If we bring that text up, the vaccine adverse event reporting system, VAERS is a system used in the US. The yellow card scheme is a similar system for the UK. Information available on these online systems is quote, unverified by nature because anyone is allowed to make a report, according to Polit Fact, and our old f- f- uh, friends Full Fact. Uh, now, i have going to say I spoke to Full Fact this morning. Totally unsatisfactory conversation because when I pointed out that by only reporting some of the facts, you could in fact skew the meaning and distort what's really happening. Uh, But Full Fact, of course, defended their position to the hilt. They didn't mind that they hadn't done the full investigation to what was happening here. They didn't mind that as a result, the public weren't able to see what was going on. So uh, let's just have a look at what Full Fact said. Um, They said that uh, this is the 2nd of March 2021. There's no evidence that people are dying from the COVID-19 vaccine. Well, we've now got over a thousand deaths registered. Well, there's no evidence, of course, because the MHRA is not doing any investigation into what the cause of those deaths were. More on that in a minute. Uh, But this is how Full Fact helped spin the report. Reports to the yellow card scheme uh, suggest that the COVID vaccine from AstraZeneca is not safe. They're saying that was what was claimed. Uh, This is not true. The yellow card scheme has collated reports of adverse health events following vaccination, but none of the deaths or serious events so far appear to have been caused by it. Why do they have to use the word appear? Because there's been no investigations into exactly what proportion of the reported adverse effects are actually due to the vaccine. And of course, um, full fact didn't bother to do any further investigation into that data themselves. What they did is point you back at what the MHRA claims. So this is further on in the full fact article, and it starts off here, the MHRA's full analysis of this data explains that none of these fatalities appears to have been caused by the vaccine. But the reality is that the MHRA has not investigated this data in any shape or form, and is not in a position to make any claims about the safety of the data. And if we go to the MHRA's reports, what we find is that they lead people around in a circle where you never actually get any factual information from them on what investigation they're doing into the yellow card data. So this is ultimately where the full fact article links. And it's the MHRA saying that there was a commission on human medicines established uh, which established an expert working group to advise the medicines and healthcare products, et cetera, et cetera. But absolutely no substance, although it says based on this advice, the MHRA has developed and now has in place a four stranded approach to vigilance, which is summarized in this report. So they talk about the, the mechanism for doing the job, but they never actually report on the job. David, it's very hard to almost explain some of this. The word is obfuscated information, it's blurred, it's there, it's opaque. There's lots of words, there's lots of of haven't we done well, but when you say, okay, where's the evidence? There isn't any evidence. And they're now
2: attacking their own data. And this is remarkable because the VER system has long been known as being very limited it records maybe 1% of all adverse reactions. But the reason it's used is it's still an early warning system of trouble. Right? It vastly under-reports the trouble, but it still allows a report to come in. That has been, for decades, the acknowledged interpretation of that data. Now, PolitiFact and Fact are trying to tell us oh, it's all nonsense, it doesn't mean anything. This is utterly unbelievable and flies in the face of established have established considered opinion for decades and they're just making it up. I was struck by PolitiFact. They were doing attack on a report that said, quote, 6,000% increase in reported vaccine deaths in the first quarter of 2021 compared to the first quarter of 2020. They declared this to be false. Now, they went to the data and they admitted that the data, which had shown between January 1st, and March 19, 2020, 36 people were reported on the American virus system as having died in connection with vaccination. And that for the same period uh, in the current year, it's 2,113, and this is indeed around a 6,000% increase. So they look at the figures and they say, the figures are right, but then they say, oh no, but you see, we're vaccinating old people, and old people die all the time. And then they go to some doctor, so they try, you know, we'll use an expert, and the doctor rambles off in some hypothetical case about a hypothetical patient with multiple other illnesses dying and say this wasn't this hypothetical patient didn't die due to the vaccine and then that's meant to be a response to the data it's incredible, they have no case. They're having now to undermine their own data to try and hide the fact that they are doing harm on a level that we have never seen before.
0: Yeah, uh, David, that, that is the, the expression. And of course, the, the nurse and the NHS board member whistleblower used genocide, that's the term they used. And of course, that uh, that reflects the scale of the damage that we're seeing. But let's follow this little story through. This is another section from the MHRA uh, website, and in it, you see the twist. It says the clinical trials of COVID-19 vaccine have shown them to be effective and, quote, acceptably safe. Now, the inference there is that trials were done and they are acceptably safe. The reality is that all the vaccines that are in use at the moment are black triangle Vaccines, which means that they are still undergoing assessment. So the safety trial on these vaccines is being undertaken on the public on a daily basis with millions of people given a vaccination which has not proved to be safe. Uh, So we just add in here, this is the other bit. We now know that the MHRA is not investigating its own yellow card data to ascertain which of the effects were actually caused by the vaccine so if we acknowledge this that the list of yellow card only says these may be caused by the vaccine you would expect the mhra to investigate but it is not and more on that in a minute we'll just finish here this was another tweet that came out um uh, pushed out by twitter talking about theirs and yellow card databases unverified reports that can be submitted by anyone so the lie in this tweet is that oh, a member of the public can submit a report to the yellow card system. That is correct. But of course, the NHS trained professionals are supposed to be obliged, required to submit to the yellow card scheme. So this tweet from Twitter is attacking the government's own data, as you say, David. Their lies are beginning to catch them out. I'm just going to label this. So The lie here is that the yellow card vaccine reaction data is unreliable and valueless. That's what they're getting at by saying it could be submitted by anyone. Uh, But the truth is that the yellow card data is immensely valuable because it's the only data that we're collecting at the moment which shows the risks of the viruses. Vaccine. Vaccine, I beg your pardon. Yes. They're, They're going to be caught out on this. Well, let's move on to this lady. Uh, because um, she, she's got the overall baton. She's the Director of Vigilance and Risk Management at Medicines for MHRA, Dr. Sarah Branch. And we decided we would email her this morning uh, to ask a few questions. So we'll take you through this pretty quickly. Dear Sarah, your MHRA colleague was kind enough to suggest I emailed you direct to obtain an answer to my question below concerning post MHRA yellow card report follow-up investigations and actions. To date, as run date of the 29th of April 2021, you're reporting the following yellow card adverse reactions. Pfizer, 154,776, of which 364 were fatal. AstraZeneca, 598,985, of which 722 were fatal. Moderna 1,996 of which two were fatal, Brand Unspecified 1,807 of which 14 were fatal, the data sum is 757,564 vaccine adverse reactions and a staggering 1,102 fatalities. Against these shocking statistics, I'm aware of a growing public concern whereby those already adversely affected and suffering from COVID-19 vaccine adverse reactions and all those who have family, friends and colleagues adversely affected, some of who have died, are asking what action MHRA is taking to investigate these incidents and to prevent future harm. Despite calling the MHRA Yellow Card helpline today, I've been unable to establish what, if any, formal investigations MHRA is conducting concerning the immense number of vaccine adverse reactions logged so as to prevent further damage to the public. Most importantly, I've recently been given evidence showing that your department is taking weeks to even respond to reports of vaccine adverse reactions, even those resulting in deaths. My formal question, therefore, on behalf of injured and harmed members of the public is due diligence as MHRA Director of Vigilance and Risk Management of Medicines. What due diligence action or actions have you undertaken? And indeed, is MHRA taking to fully investigate the 757,564 COVID-19 vaccine adverse reactions and the 1,102 deaths logged thus far so as to warn and fully protect the public from further future harm from known minor serious and fatal COVID-19 vaccine adverse reactions of the type, but not limited to those recorded to date by MHRA. So that's UK Column's formal uh, email. Uh, I'd encourage any of our viewers and listeners who feel as outraged as we do about this clear failure of the MHRA to protect the public to get emailing their pharma vigilance department uh, to ask where the where the um, true detail is of what actions MHRA is taking to investigate. We did get a response. It was automatic, of course. And uh, what did it tell us? Well, it basically said, uh, automatically, we're not really interested in the reactions. Uh, we may get back to you in 10 days, but possibly it could be longer. So presumably, that's a facility of the multi-millioned AI system, uh, Mike, maybe not. Maybe not. And uh, just to rub in really the fact we really need to know what's going on in the country at the moment. Here's the Sunday Times. Uh, what was their headline? Deaths at home rise by a third as patients avoid hospital. And um, they are now saying there's an extra 41,321 deaths or excess deaths in private homes during the year.
1: Glad they finally caught up, Brian. We've only been reporting this for how many months?
0: Uh, A lot, Mike. So they've just about dipped a toe in the water to recognise that there's something unpleasant happening. Will the Sunday Times have the guts to do the proper investigation? My prediction is they won't. They will be censored. Uh, But we've also got the telegraph here, letters, patients unable to see their GPs face to face. Uh, to find, uh, and they can find that their illness is misdiagnosed. And we've got a letter here, a typical letter that the Telegraph is printing, where somebody's saying, I can't even get into my accident and emergency centre. I can't get into my GP. Um, so there is no NHS system that's operating at the moment.
1: Indeed. Uh, and we got this email this morning, Brian, uh, from uh, someone saying, I work in a in Sussex and I'd like to write in, regarding accurate portrayal of what hospitals and our staff are going through because GP surgeries aren't seeing people properly and 111 are sending everyone to us, regardless of condition or presentation, the NHS and our A&E department are under tremendous strain. And I think it needs to be made public. Would I be able to write in regarding this? Well, of course, you're absolutely welcome to write in regarding this. We are hearing this from multiple sources at the moment right across the country, Brian.
0: Yes. So the system hasn't broken down. It's been deliberately collapsed by the government. There's no question of that. And uh, as we're going to mention a little bit later, we understand that actually a lot of hospitals throughout the country are swamped at the moment. Now, this is fascinating because it's not COVID that's causing the problems. What is causing the problems? Um, If you're out there working in the NHS and you can tell us something about the occupation levels of hospitals, we would certainly like to know.
1: Now, isn't it amazing that uh, whenever COVID was being blamed for this um, earlier in the year, the headlines were covered in this kind with ambulances parked outside A&E departments and so on. Uh, but COVID has gone uh, for this year, or at least until the autumn, when another wave undoubtedly is on its way. Uh, and, but uh, yeah. there's still pressure on, the, on A&E departments, but that's not being reported. Why would that be?
0: Uh, it's a cover-up, Mike. The aim is a cover-up. Uh, we, we will say that we had a report uh, yesterday. Uh, it was concerning Trellisk Hospital in Cornwall, That it was fully occupied. There were many ambulances outside. Some of those ambulances contained patients. The patients were restricted to the ambulances for hours because there were no beds. Uh, but what we were told was that the hospital was full of all manner of different complaints. And uh, when I asked, were they assessing vaccine adverse reactions, the person had no idea what I was talking to, had no idea about yellow card data, but did volunteer to me that apparently other hospitals throughout uh, England at least, were suffering these high occupancy levels as a result of unnamed medical problems. So I think we're going to say live, if you're out there and know what we're talking about, uh, please, can you give us some information or uh, give us a better understanding of what's happening? Um, so, you know, the question
1: is, what is causing uh, adverse reactions uh, in the first place? And I just want to bring everybody back to this article published uh, a few days ago by Dr. Mike uh, Williams uh, on the UK column, Clotting and COVID Vaccine Science. Um, and so what is the main point that he's making here? Uh, Clotting following vaccination, a surprise, he asks, If we're to rely on mainstream news and government reports, we might be led to believe that clotting problems with COVID vaccines are entirely unexpected and rare. Yet the first warnings about the AstraZeneca clotting disorder came before the preprint above, and he's talking about a a, a scientific paper that he was discussing earlier in the article, before the preprint above was published and long before they even started making the current COVID vaccines, well over a decade before, to be precise. So it was absolutely understood what the effect of uh, vaccines would be uh, before they were ever delivered. Um, so he goes on to uh, report on this paper here, uh, adrenovirus induced, well I'm not even going to try to pronounce that, the role of uh, von Willebrand factor NP selected in mediating accelerated platelet clearance. Uh, and there's an abstract on this uh, which says that blood clots have uh, consistent, been consistently reported uh, following the administration of uh, adenoviral gene transfer vectors. The mechanism underlying this phenom- phenomenon is currently unknown, and the point here is that this is exactly the, the uh, mechanism that's uh, being used uh, within these vaccines. So let's have a look at this paper then: severe COVID-19, a multifaceted viral vascu- vascular sorry vasculopathy syndrome. Uh, there's a couple of interesting. Diagrams in this they're in the article that uh, Dr. Mike Williams has written as well. Uh, Let's just have a look at this one first of all So uh, Mike Williams says the above diagram depicts the virus attaching to the inner lining of small blood vessels causing an immune reaction uh, And destruction of the infected cells that results in debris being being released uh, pseudovirons uh, that uh, travel to other areas where the process repeats itself with some modifications and then he highlights uh, a second uh, image from that uh, paper, uh, He said, which says, in the brain below, uh, these viral-free pseudovariants, uh, including spike protein, induce a clotting response initiated by a part of the immune system called complement, uh, specifically the mannose-binding lectin complement pathway. Uh, and uh, so the key point here in this paper in relation to COVID vaccines is that the spike protein devoid of viral RNA travels to the brain and causes clotting. Once again, in case you need reminding, COVID vaccines produce such a spike protein. Simply put, he ends the article, there is overwhelming evidence that the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein that is also synthetically produced by the COVID vaccines is a central part of the mechanism of morbidity and mortality of SARS-CoV-2 and therefore also a risk of the vaccine in regard to clotting that risk is greater if you receive the vaccine. And the point that he is really trying to ram home here is that this was understood for at least a decade. Um, And uh, so the question is why this particular route to vaccination was taken.
0: Yes. And and of course, we're going to say to people, if you go looking on the MHRA database, it's very difficult to find the collective data for for these clotting conditions. Um, We hope that that the UK Column Database is going to help you get through this data and see the very real risks. Um, Okay, uh, David, uh,
1: Israel to implement electronic bracelets to enforce COVID quarantine starting in May.
2: Yes, uh, the number of people coming back to Israel both uh, from abroad and tourists and, uh, and, and people returning home is such that their uh, position of putting them all into hotels and, and locking them away is not really uh, sustainable so they're going to treat them like criminals and put on tracking bracelets because that will fix things so now if you go to another country the the the, the level of uh, totalitarian controls is, is really quite impressive you go to another country and um, you will be confined to barracks you will be tracked you will be traced And you will be essentially treated like a criminal um, for at least some weeks. And of course, the duration for that is at their discretion, too. So, um, yeah, there are major concerns with loss of liberty in Israel.
0: Right, David, before you continue, because I know you're going to move on to the uh, BMJ, I just wanted to pop this up on screen because one of our viewers sent it through to us. Uh, But it was a little reminder that back in October 2020, the BMJ said COVID-19 vaccine trials cannot tell us if they will save lives. So that was a fairly outspoken report. And we'd say it stands because at the moment we are still not still not seeing any data uh, which says that the the vaccines can save lives or indeed that they're safe. But I think you've got a different angle here from the uh, conservative woman commenting on BMJ.
2: Yes, the BMJ has been, uh, shall we say, a bit vacillating on this. So put, they've put out some excellent information and they've also put out information and then walked back from it or redacted or, or, or controlled the dissemination of this. And this is, this is what the, the Conservative Women uh, ha, uh, magazine has been looking at. So they've got um, an article here by Ivana Lovotny, it's amazing how often uh, we're seeing Eastern European names calling out this particular problem because this is people perhaps with a, 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 a personal knowledge or a family knowledge of what it is like to live under a totalitarian regime. And she highlights the fact that the BMJ first published a letter by Dr Fiona Goldley about the removal of a rapid, uh, resp- uh, this was a rapid response comment by uh, Dr uh, Poila Culver on the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, And the uh, website now says, um, this rapid response has been removed as it was being used to spread misinformation and was attributed in a misleading way on certain websites and social media. So they removed a letter highlighting a problem from the BMJ, not because the letter was wrong, not because the information in the letter wasn't correct, but because they didn't like how other people were talking about the letter. So that alone is a, a very uh, concerning development. Now, uh, what uh, Miss um, Novotny asks here is what part of the letter doesn't stand? And she then quotes it at some length. Uh, the main point she she raises, the main points that was made in this letter, One, the COVID vaccines are experimental and only under rapid uh, temporary regulatory approval. There is a lack of data about them. There is insufficient reporting of vaccine adverse reactions. Dr. uh, Poliarkova writes that she was struggling to understand the failure to report the reality of the morbidity caused by our current vaccination programme. Aren't we all? Vaccines harm even young and healthy people to the extent that hospitalisation is needed in some cases. In some cases, vaccines induce neurological symptoms. Vaccines do not protect from contracting the virus. Quote, I am direct experience of staff contracting COVID after vaccine and probably transmitting it, end quote. Uh, and the, the, the points continue. COVID vaccines are pointless and dangerous, do more harm than good. Quote, it's clearly stated that these vaccines Vaccine products do not offer immunity or stop transmission. In which case, why are we doing it? In some cases, vaccines impact adversely on the immediate health of the recipients. The long-term adverse effects are still unknown. Nobody knows how they will affect the health service. Mandating of unlicensed experimental vaccines on on healthcare workers or members of the public uh, is in the realms of Adolf Hitler's dystopia. Coercion and mandating medical treatments on our staff. Um, or members of the public when treatments are still experimental phase are firmly in the realms of totalitarian Nazi dystopia. These are hugely important points. And what this letter is asking is, since the BMJ have removed that letter from the website, which of those points do they disagree with? And it would appear that the answer is, well, none of them, as far as we know. That they're, they're not actually disagreeing with this on a factual basis because the reason for removing the letter was how it was being interpreted. Well, how else could you interpret that? This is, a, this, is a, this is a call for thinking again. This is a call for looking at what we are doing. This is a call for taking a proper reasoned look at the harm that's being done. And all that happens in the BMG and elsewhere is people are being attacked, people are being silenced, and people are being censored. This is the pattern.
1: Yeah, it is indeed. Okay, if you uh, like what the UK Column does and you would like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community. And uh, there are options to help us out there. You'd be very much welcome. Uh, But also please do share our material on the various platforms while we still have them. uh, And uh, that would be very much appreciated as well. Now, uh, David, uh, a little bit more from the Edinburgh protest last weekend, Uh, not this just past, but the one before uh, that we reported uh, last Monday. Uh, And uh, well, I'm glad to see people wearing their UK Column t-shirts.
2: Yes, big thanks to Stephen here. He was uh, uh, at the the protest and wearing his UK Column t-shirt. And doesn't it look fine on him? Uh, that was that was lovely to see, and there was a lot of UK column signs and a lot of UK column support and good feeling uh, at that event. Now, um, I also uh, had a chance to meet with Ian Nohar, who who was um, part of the team that put together uh, a video called the Ice Bucket Challenge in in uh, times of uh, coronavirus. Um, and this is from an organisation called Unite for Truth. We covered the video some weeks ago. It was extremely hard hitting and uh, it was de- I was delighted to meet the people who created it in order to thank them personally for the work.
0: give us your thoughts on the ice bucket challenge and the importance of humor in this time ahead and the struggle
2: well the, the humor was fantastic and we we recognize that is our friend the uk call uh, but we were completely blown away by by the, the quality of the video it was tremendous so i sent it around i mean i sent it to uh all the team mm. and I mean I might shock you here, but Brian Gerrish is English. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure how he would how he would cope with some of the the Glasswegian stuff. And he absolutely <laughs> adored it. And he came back and he said, This is fantastic. The the production values, the cutting and the impact of it. The use of music, the use of the images mm-hmm. and, and this man saying, Do you get it? I'm gonna
1: It was
2: fantastic. <laughs> we loved it. Brian Gerrish had never seen anything like it. He seemed to understand it even though it was clearly in a language, Aye. it was completely foreign to him.
0: It
2: was excellent. Aye. So we were happy to, to give it some airtime because it's it, it was exactly what mm. we need. It was it was passionate, it was funny, it was high quality, it was watchable, it was entertaining. Aye. It was great. Oh, thanks. I'll need
0: a bigger heart.
2: Really like
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, David. Aye.
2: Pleasure. So David I hope you'll see you but
0: David, I just want to say, we sat in that living room and we worked on that video for days, and uh, Ian Nohar, gentleman here said, you need to get that, to UK call, man. they send it. At the time he said it, I thought that's outlandish, we're sat in a flat and cross in Glasgow's East End, that won't happen, but it was a big man here uh, that suggested it and put in the hard work, so well done, Ian.
2: Thank you, my friend. Thank you um, again, David. Thank you. So, right. So that was that was Unite for Truth. Um, I follow them on YouTube. Uh, they're working on the, the, what that video went on to show is they're working on more production soon. Uh, I'm I'm fascinated to know what the next one's going to be because Ice Bucket Challenge is is excellent and I, I'm I'm really looking forward to the next production. So please follow them on YouTube and uh, watch for their their content coming out. Okay. Now, uh, f- uh, I, so a final thing, just, there's been a lot of, um, a lot of, and con- there's going to, in the rest of the news today, quite a lot of negative news about COVID, but we, we have to remember that people are fighting back against this. People are waking up, people are losing the fear. Um, at the end of the meeting, back on May the 1st in, in Edinburgh, uh, everyone sang Old uh, Lang Syne together. This is for old times' sake. This is looking at the old times that we miss and we want to return to. This is rather becoming the anthem of the movement against the new normal, against the lockdown, against the removal of your rights, against laws on hugging, on worshipping, on speaking, on, on going to funerals, against it all. So uh, I thought it might be worth playing just a short clip from uh, from from Edinburgh of the crowd singing together people enjoying normality. It was a good day. And there'll be many more like that as, uh, as the resistance to this lockdown grows and as the, the intellectual justification for it continues to crumble. Yeah,
0: well, the good thing about that was I understood all the words of the uh, song there, David. So that was uh, truly excellent. Now we're getting a stream of emails and other communications into UK Column. Just taken a selection out here. Uh, This one brought a smile to my face. A gentleman said, I went to County Hall today to arrange a certificate of no impediment to marriage. I'm required to send it to my Japanese fiance in Japan in order to process a marriage. I was asked to confirm whether I was a male. I kept a straight face while other parts of my anatomy looped the loop and answered in the affirmative. Well, I replied to that and said how pleased I was, especially to be able to loop the loop. But I'll leave people to think about that bit. Now, uh, this one is interesting. Somebody says their brother-in-law is a tattooist. uh, And seeing problems with people uh, having tattoos, basically, uh, it seems that the reaction to the inks and the whole process has... um, has been exacerbated by vaccines. So this is an early report. Um, I'm sure that what's being reported here is correct. But if other people know of problems with vaccines and and tattoos, uh, we'll be interested. Um, This one is talking about um, really coming home from school and nursery and seeing other parents still wearing masks and trying to kiss and cuddle their children wearing masks and saying how sad this is to see. And uh, the individual said they were saying to people, watch the UK column. Some react, some don't. But uh, the nice thing is people are clearly seeing the madness of the mask wearing. Um, This one is another email where somebody is saying impossible to get into their GP surgery. Um, You have to phone up in order to make an appointment. But if you don't get the appointment, you have to phone back the next day. You're kept waiting So even though you can have quite serious conditions, you cannot get into these GP surgeries. This is deliberate policy by the government. And of course, the GP surgeries are are now run as businesses and they want the money. If they've got enough money coming in, they don't need extra patients. So uh, people will just have to keep knocking on the door and calling out their GPs. Uh, This one here is... um, uh, individual who attended hospital, hospital appointment a couple of weeks ago, during which they were unmasked. They didn't wear a mask. I received a letter yesterday, which was sent to my GP and copied to me. The letter briefly updated my GP about my recent visit. However, I was absolutely appalled to read the last paragraph, which essentially informed my GP that I attended, declined a mask and gave no reason. I have a copy of the letter for verification. And we've said we would like to see that, so hospitals are now, <coughs> excuse me, snitching uh, as to whether you're wearing a mask or not, which is uh, pretty unpleasant stuff, I think.
1: Um, right uh, now, we're not going to talk too much about elections, uh, David, because the result's not really too much of a surprise. But uh, in Scotland, uh, Gordon Brown is uh, kick-starting the fight. Uh, for the union. As Nicola Sturgeon says, a referendum is a matter of when, not if. Now, my understanding was that she made a promise uh, before the election that if anybody uh, voted for the SNP, that was a vote for the SNP and not for uh, independence. Uh, But now she seems to have reneged on that deal and uh, really wants to try to say that every SNP vote is a
2: vote for uh, pro-independence. Yeah, this, this reneging, though, this is a bit, this is now a tradition. It's like black rod hitting on the door. Uh, every every election, Nicola says this, and every every uh, morning after the election, she reneges on it. I think we should have a little ceremony uh, for the great reneging on the promise. But the thing that really stopped me about this, the, the, the election was essentially stasis, essentially nothing changed. Um, but the, the uh, Scotsman here was, uh, a f- produced a fascinating little either-or that the, that the good people of Scotland are going to be offered. And the either-or involves Gordon Brown. Remember Gordy, Well, he's back, right? And he says, uh, he says that he would transform his think tank, which is called Our Scottish Future, into a campaign organisation to ensure that the not-yet-nationalist voters in Scotland I don't know what he's he's on, really. But anyway, the not-yet-nationalist voters in Scotland do not drift towards supporting independence and would set up policy commissions to lay out the groundwork of a shared common purpose for the four nations of the United Kingdom. So did you like that, Brian? Did you like the the regional government, the uh, breaking up of the UK, but we're all in it for a common purpose, Uh, and even the use of the word? So that's one of the options that uh, the Scots are being presented with. Yeah, well,
0: well, of course, the pernicious political charity Common Purpose was operating from the office of the Deputy Prime Minister, John Prescott, during the Blair era. Uh, That was the centre of where that organisation got going. And, of course, its job was not to hold the country together. It was the Trojan horse to start the uh, infighting and the split-up of UK. So the deviousness of these uh, Labour People, it's just unbelievable.
1: Yeah, it does strike me, David, that if Gordon Brown is on the pro uh,
2: union side, you're in a bit of trouble there. (laughs) With friends like that, who needs enemies? I know what you mean. But I give you, I right, you 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 mentioned devious. I give you Nicola Sturgeon. Now, uh, the the best description of Nicola Sturgeon I saw this week, uh, as as she was going in and. Uh, I think it was criticising, after all of the huge corruption scandals that that mired her administration for the past six months uh, as she's been running political show trials, she then started to criticise the Conservatives for sleaze over, I think it was wallpaper, and um, uh, someone commented on Twitter that you couldn't mark her neck with a blowtorch, which I thought was very accurate. But she's she's surpassed herself. She says... um, The the, the pro-independence majority of the MSPs, because the Greens are pro-independence, returned to Holyrood, was a mandate for a second independence referendum. So even though she didn't actually win the majority, she's got a mandate. And it would be, quote, completely outrageous for the Prime Minister to block one third-court challenge. This is the woman who supported the court challenge in the same court to block the largest democratic expression of will in the history of the British people, namely Brexit. But but now going to court to stop her doing something which is clearly unconstitutional would be completely outrageous. Um, She said if this were to happen, it would mean a conservative government had refused to accept the democratic wishes of the Scottish people in the way that she refused to accept the democratic wishes of the British people uh, and the outcome of a democratic election and tried to go to the Supreme Court to overturn Scottish democracy. I repeat, you couldn't mark her neck with a blowtorch. Uh, well, but where does that take us? Well, back to reality briefly. Um, this little map here, uh, the dark blue bits are the bits of Scotland, which actually had a majority of the vote, and only about 63% of the people voted, so 37% didn't, didn't bother. But about uh, the blue areas are the areas which voted the majority to, for unionist parties, and the yellow areas voted the majority for uh, parties supporting separation. So the settled will of the Scottish people, Scottish democratic uh, will and uh, rhetoric you'll get from Nicola Sturgeon, isn't born out in reality. The majority of the Scots support being part of the United Kingdom. Uh, and of course, Nicola herself is completely incapable of uh, moving towards independence because that would require some knowledge of uh, world events, statesmanship, economics, um, human beings, um, and, and a limitation on the size of the state. None of which she's capable of doing. Uh, and none of which she has to do if she keeps uh, things just as they are with the poor old English taxpayer at the moment, uh, picking up a substantial portion of the bill uh, as she makes things worse and worse for the Scottish people all the time. So um, I think it's more of the same. Uh, She can't seem to escape this position. She can't lead, but she can't escape the position of leadership. It's 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 a strange world in Scottish politics. But uh, we're getting quite used to it. And it seems it's going to be unchanged for the, for the foreseeable future.
1: Um, yes. Now, earlier, uh, we were talking about rights and so on with respect to uh, lockdown and normality and, and whatnot. But uh, Bernie's tweets was pushing this out today uh, with an image of today's uh, Daily Express front page. I'm just going to show you the full page there because the front page says uh, Boris, Uh, our new freedoms will be here to stay. Apparently, we're getting new freedoms. Uh, We're not getting old freedoms returned to us, or we're not getting going back to the way things were before. These are new freedoms. Uh, And of course, if we go back to the tweet uh, that Bernie's tweets put out, she said, uh, these are not new freedoms. These are your human rights taken from you without, without your authority and still withheld unless you comply with the state. And David, I think in one tweet there, we have The key point with respect to human rights, Uh, because the whole principle of human rights is you start with a blank piece of paper, the presumption of no rights, uh, and then some rights get written down. And of course, if a human being writes those rights down, then the human being can take those rights off that paper again with a big rubber. Uh, But uh, we've got to stop talking human rights and be talking uh, unalienable rights.
2: We, we do. Yes, God-given inalienable rights is what we have, um, and human rights, which are uh, not absolute, uh, apart from life and the right to torture, all of the others are conditional. And the condition is, uh, frankly, if the state wants to let you have those rights at that particular moment. Uh, and remember, they've all been removed without any justification, even in their own terms. Uh, they are meant to have a situation for something like a pandemic or a health emergency where the the, the imposition on people's rights is the minimum necessary uh, and driven wholly by events. Now we've got a situation where all-cause mortality is normal, uh, all-cause mortality in Ireland in 2020 was less than 2019, there is no uh, crisis and yet uh, all we need is PR spin and some experts who are willing to say anything for money And we have a crisis and your rights are gone. So there doesn't seem to be any limit on what the state can do at this point. And uh, that's why uh, human rights uh, won't do. Uh,
1: Indeed. Now, uh, we are at the end of a parliamentary session and tomorrow there will be a Queen's speech, which means the beginning of a new parliamentary session. Uh, So Boris was tweeting this out over the weekend. Uh, He said, I'm focused on beating COVID, saving lives, and livelihoods and rolling out vaccines, but I'm also determined to get on with fulfilling the promises we made to the British public and British people, sorry, in the next week's uh, Queen's speech, we will go further to unite and level up. And there's a nice graphic there. Well, let's just zoom in on that graphic because it is a Queen's speech to build back better uh, as if we needed to, but uh, a Queen's speech to build back better. But I was really fascinated uh, by what is in the bottom right-hand corner here, because the Queen's Speech 2021 has become a brand. It is a brand with a logo. Now let's just look at that logo and compare it to something which I think is where it got its inspiration from uh, because it is an eye and it does have a squiggly line under it. So it reminds me a lot of the Eye of Horus. Uh, David, before we move on, uh, what do you think about that?
2: That's very striking observation, Mike. It really is, and of course, it's also um, the other thing that, that came to mind is queuing on. Um, have they looked jealously at the uh, at the, at the at the success of that particular venture, whatever that happened, whatever you think it was, and thought, well, we, we're going to have more of that, uh, and they're they're continuing the the branding style.
0: Yeah, yes. I, I just wanted to add, I noticed the first slide because I think what I'm looking at for UK is a thousand points of light. And also you've got light, which is effectively coming from little honeycombs. So if, if we're talking about a cult meaning in this from HM government, I think it's littered with it. Well, f- full of full of uh, very special symbolism,
1: it seems. Um, so let's just uh, remind everybody of, of this article from Spiked. Uh, Because what are we going to see in the Queen's speech? Uh, All kinds of things. Uh, It's going to be, uh, let's see, what have we got? Environment bill. Uh, We've got police crime and sentencing and courts bill. This is a really significant piece of legislation. And unfortunately, uh, the protest against that seems to have been largely co-opted by this Black Lives Matter movement. I think people uh, who wouldn't necessarily agree with the Black Lives Matter movement need to be looking at the police crime sentencing and courts bill because it is really uh, a horrible piece of legislation. And of course, the online safety bill uh, is very, very likely to be in this uh, Queen's speech, Uh, as spiked here saying it is an assault on free speech, uh, at the very least, Um, of course, under the guise of all kinds of other things like protecting children from online harms and so on, even though there's legislation to deal with that already. So uh, quite a lot going to be in the Queen's speech very likely tomorrow. Uh, and uh, we need to be paying a lot of attention to that. Now, let's uh, move on. Um, and, uh, well, plastic, um, because uh, what have we got here? Primary and secondary schools are being invited to view a series of online films and activities via an interactive map in advance of uh, an event on this. This is uh, World Plastic uh, uh, Day, um, culminating sorry culminating in live question and answer session with the Environmental Agency and the World Wildlife Fund. So this is very exciting. So here's one of the videos, welcome to our resource. Uh, As I say, this is for, uh, sorry, World Ocean Day. Did I say World Plastic Day? Of course not, it's World Ocean Day. Um, And I just thought this was quite interesting because uh, here we've got uh, some teacher's notes. Uh, They've got an interactive river catchment map. Our interactive river catchment map is designed to illustrate the journey of plastic pollution from source to sea. The aim of the map is to engage young people around the issues of plastic pollution, highlighting different sources of plastic, the activities will demonstrate how the actions we take inland will impact our oceans and introduce ways to take action individually and now first of all we, before we get onto the real irony of this um, who's behind it well Interreg uh, which of course is an EU project um, and uh, well I thought we weren't involved in these kinds of things anymore but apparently we are so here it is preventing plastic pollution one piece of time at a time but of course one of the biggest uh, examples of plastic pollution that we have, even in schools, is the face mask, because these face masks are all made of plastic. Um, And of course, no mask, no school for children uh, is still the case. And the fact is that there are campaigns running. Uh, So here is uh, COVID-19 face face masks and marine plastic pollution. 1.56 billion face masks will enter the marine environment in 2020. Goodness knows how many will enter in 2021. Uh, but while we're teaching children about plastic, we're requiring them to contribute uh, to the problem.
0: In a worse way.
1: In it. a worse way. Yeah. Uh, the question is, what did David Attenborough have to say about this? Uh, well, there you have it on screen. Um, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yes. So uh, we've got complete silence uh, from the great man himself. Um, so where does that take us then? Um, is this David again? It is. is. lost track. children. And children. Is. So uh, David... Uh, what have we got here?
2: Um, I just got a seven-day ban on Twitter for trying to tweet out uh, the yellow card data. I'm not quite sure what happened there. Um, uh, but we'll uh, David, we'll sorry, to that. interject.
0: <laughs> the yellow card data is Her Majesty's government, the UK government's data on vaccine adverse effects. So you were trying to tweet out the yes, UK yes. government's data. I was trying. It, I was.
2: I was. I was trying to tweet out. I was. I. I was doing it while we were live. So I, I. maybe had the wrong link or something, but I was trying to tweet out our data, and I've just there as as we've been live got a seven day ban from Twitter. So that's quite interesting. So
0: Twitter's now um, controlling the government. It would appear. Yes, uh, that'll remember. be Nick this, Clegg. This is, this was it Nick Clegg working with Twitter? No, no, was he's that? Facebook? Facebook? Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, so anyway, so I apologise
2: about that. Now, uh, Ellis, Gil- Ellis Guildford School in Nottingham is one of many schools who are um, employing um, what is called a lockdown procedure. All right, so they explain here in the letter to parents: lockdown procedure is a standard health and safety procedure similar to a fire drill. Uh, it will involve um, uh, keeping the children essentially locked in place. Um, situations where a lockdown procedure may be used include a potentially dangerous person or animal on the school site, a dangerous situation in the local community, a nearby chemical incident, or an incident related to, to terrorism. So this is what this is what we're teaching the children. We're t- making them rehearse this. Um, instructions to parents. So the so the, the what's happening here is that the children will be locked in the classroom. Locked in the classroom are told to move away from the doors and windows and they'll just have to stay there and they're not allowed to use their mobile phones. They're very insistent on this, no mobile phone use. So instructions for parents in the event of a lockdown. Parents will be informed if the school goes into lockdown by text message and a notification on the website. Parents should not attempt to call or come to the school as this may hinder the school's efforts to contact and work with emergency services. Parents should not discuss the event on social media. This may spread false information and create panic. Students will be instructed not to use mobile phones during the lockdown and so parents should not be alarmed if your child does not answer the phone. So you're going to get a message from the school to say the school's gone into lockdown and that's it, you just have to then do nothing and just trust it will be okay. Don't go to the school, don't be involved in your community, don't leap to the defence of the school, don't leap to the defence of your child, the state will do everything and meanwhile Uh, the children are going to be rehearsed in this presumably frightening procedure and they are going to get the message that the world is a dangerous place and that what you have to do is uh, obey in order to uh, protect you from from the thing that you are now afraid of.
0: So, David, this is attacking the minds of the children again. This is causing the children stress and anxiety. Uh, This is making the children, deliberately making the children mentally ill is is one of the key things to come out of this. And we know this by the uh, psychologists and psychotherapists who are talking to us about the risks uh, of these lockdown procedures on children's mental health. Uh, Right. Let's
1: uh, come back to David Attenborough again. Uh, Here he is. Uh, He has been uh, made people's advocate, uh, COP26 people's advocate, ahead of the uh, crucial uh, UN Climate Change uh, Summit, In November in Glasgow uh, which apparently even though it's going to be in November at this point is planned to be an actual face-to-face but we have to wait and see what happens we could be back in lockdown uh, by then a full lockdown but we'll see Um, so this amazing historian and broadcaster as he's described by the government is to is going to be addressing world leaders and the public ahead of and at the COP26 in November uh, he's going to address world leaders at major international events over the next 6 months including the G summit the G7 summit which is taking place in June in Cornwall uh, and he's going to firmly put climate and the protection of nature at the top of the agenda okay so this is what he had to say i'm greatly honored to be given the role of people's advocate uh, there could not be a more important moment that we should all have international agreement he said the episode the epidemic the epidemic has shown us how crucial it is to find agreement among nations Uh, if we are to solve such worldwide problems. Uh, Well, let's not just forget that uh, just a couple of weeks ago on the Lorraine program on ITV, they were pushing out uh, this image uh, of a side-by-side showing how the earth changed during lockdown. And this came from David Attenborough's uh, documentary, The The Year Earth Changed. Uh, And the implication by Lorraine was that on the left-hand side there, you can't see the Himalayas. Uh, This image, these images taken in Pakistan and on the right-hand side a year later, apparently, uh, that uh, the Himalayas were visible, despite the fact that uh, the washing on the lines and the two guys in t-shirts uh, were the same on both uh, sides of the picture. So this was cre- clearly a fraudulent image. It came from the, the David Attenborough documentary, but the Lorraine Programmes production team said that the images that were used were taken directly from the David Attenborough documentary the year The, the Year the Earth Changed. Uh, they said the before and after was screen grabbed to show the difference, as it was shown in the documentary.
0: So um, that's okay then. So that's okay <laughs> that's then. It's a bit like yellow card data. <laughs> yes.
1: Uh, so David Attenborough has been made the people's advocate because he's there to well, what lie to the people, David? What's going on?
2: Yes, yes. It's 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 very poor quality fraud, but it's good enough for ITV um to to put out as news it's incredible just a quick update here the tweet i was just checking i put the right link it was the right link i i had i tweeted out for information on adverse reactions for co- to uh, for covid19 sorry for information on adverse vaccine reactions for covid19 go to and i put our, our link there which is yellowcard.ukcolumn.org. And within minutes, I received a seven-day ban from Twitter. Isn't that interesting?
0: Yeah, well, clearly they don't like the, the, uh, the data. Somebody's commented that because the data is hidden in plain sight, that's what the government's trying to do. But we're shining a light on that data. We just need a few hundred thousand people now to stay on the case of the government's own data. And I will predict we will get the, lift, the lid off the... Uh, whole of this COVID vaccine policy. So it's really up to our viewers and listeners now. We've given you the ammunition. Well, I'd say that I've just done it. So they should use it, really.
1: Yes. Um, Now, David, uh, let's head over to Canada. And uh, the the preacher, uh, Pavlovsky, who was uh, so vehement about kicking out uh, the police from his church uh, when he was trying to uh, uh, when they were trying to shut down a service?
2: Yes, um, there's more on this story. Now, I think the first, just to remind people, Arthur Polosky, um was quite magnificent when the police came calling at his church. Um, and uh, it's worth just revisiting that, partly because it's excellent and partly because it explains why the police subsequently acted as they did.
1: Uh, well, uh, look, David. We're not. We, we won't show it all. We'll show a little bit of it because we are out of time. So let's just let's just have a look at uh, at a little bit of this.
2: Please get out. Get out of this property immediately. Get out. Get out of this property immediately. Out. I don't want to hear anything. Out of this property immediately. I don't want to hear a word. Out. Out. Out, out of this property. Immediately until you come back with a warrant.
1: Out! Out! So everybody will remember that, David, but uh, what happened next?
2: Well, he was arrested um, at the weekend. He was arrested on Saturday. Uh, So we've got here a report from uh, the Calgary Herald. Uh, Street preacher Arthur Pawlowski arrested and charged after defying public health orders. Now... um, uh, The the report that uh, he was arrested again during, uh, after he failed to abide by public health orders during a Saturday church service, during which dozens were congregated without masks and with no regard for physical distancing. So in other words, people were behaving normally, as though there isn't a problem. People were behaving rationally. And for this he was arrested. We have a short clip of the arrest.
1: Over here, so as per the injunction that was served on uh, Arthur here and uh, David back here, I am to place both of them
2: under arrest for breach the Queen's Bench Order. If you're not recording, it's- So, have, so, having been completely humiliated uh, when they came to his um, his church, uh, the police decided um, not to go again into the church, but uh, to ambush him on, on the way home from the church, pull him over, surround him by something like uh, six or eight police cars, uh, and drag him out of his car and take him away, and away he remains. Um, we're looking for more information, and we'll update you as we get it. Now... Um, the uh, authorities at Calgary uh, reported here earlier today that the organiser of a church service who was in violation of a new court order. So this, this is for something that wasn't illegal on Wednesday, but it is illegal on Thursday, All right. So he was in, in violation of a new court order obtained by Alberta Health Services in relation to mandatory compliance of public health orders for gatherings. So there was no... He was In the original clip, he was asking for a warrant. There was no warrant. They had no right to enter... Um, but they had um the the health authorities went to the Queen's Bench and got a, a, an order, and then the police then used that order to justify their arrest for entirely lawful activity. Um there's a statement here from the Calgary Police. Calgary Police Service continues to work with our provincial partners because we're all in it together. Uh, to address those who are inclined to ignore the public health orders in place to keep our communities safe. So safety is the reason for giving up liberty, once again. In addition to the enforcement framework that has been announced early in the week, Alberta Health Services obtained a Court of Queen's Bench order that applies to gatherings, including protest demonstrations and rallies. This is a significant development. So as of Thursday... Church services, protests, rallies—any gathering at all in Alberta is essentially now unlawful or illegal. Obviously, it's still lawful, and uh, this was done it, partly, I suspect, to get Pastor Arthur Pawlowski because he made the police look like the Nazis that they are, um, and partly because uh, the authorities cannot have anyone threatening uh, threatening their rule. Anyone who does this will be will be attacked. Uh, There is a GoFundMe page uh, run by Rebel News, but the money all goes to Arthur Pawlowski's defence. So anyone who can contribute to that, uh, uh, it'd be excellent if you could make a contribution to help his legal fighting fund, because he's going to need it. Um, And uh, we will give you more on that as we get more information. But we are seeing here the loss of liberty in Canada and the comments that he was making originally about the the Nazi communist Gestapo-like methods employed by the police were once again shown to be accurate. Yes,
1: yes. Okay, well, um, let's uh, just end on a couple of uh, slides uh, because somebody has uh, been putting up, uh, some very naughty person been putting up banners uh, advertising the UK column again. It says... uh, uh, sick of the BBC lies. Uh, try, uh, try UK Column News. So thank you very much to the people that have, uh, have done that. Uh, we couldn't possibly encourage any of that kind of behaviour anywhere else no, in the country.
0: No, certainly not. Uh, and
1: uh, moving over to the States then, David, uh, just to end off uh, a great sign. In a, in well, a, well,
2: well t- Texas is free, you see, uh, and, and incidentally free and uh, safe. There's, there's less problems with COVID in places like Texas and Florida than there are in places with uh, coercive lockdown policies. Um, and since they're free, uh, and there's still the rule of law, people who own businesses are allowed to set policies regarding their businesses, and that means you have variety. And in this case someone has uh, put on the sign, uh, put a sign on the, the window of the business, "Stop your masks, make everyone inside feel uncomfortable no masks allowed, violators are trespassing. So that's quite clear. And presumably there'll be another uh, cafe somewhere in town for mask wearers and people can have their choice. But of course, in uh, Britain, in Scotland, in England and in Canada, choice is not allowed. But uh, well done, Texas. Uh, we see what you're doing and uh, hopefully it will come here soon.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Well, we're really at the end of the news. So David, thank you for joining us. Thank you also to our viewers and listeners from from overseas. I'd just like to say a special thank you for those uh, watching today from the Carpathian Mountains, Transylvania. Um, Pleasure to have you with us. And also thank you very much to people who are sending in really quality data now. This is making a big difference. But a big thank you to Mike and the team for the database. We've given you the tool to really challenge the lies of the UK government over vaccine adverse effects. It's there for you to use. If you use it in sufficient numbers, it will produce a result because the government's got to defend its own position. And uh, apparently even Twitter is against the government now. So that's going to be interesting to watch. We'll leave it there. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back at the same time. Well, we'll be back in 10 minutes. We'll be back in 10 minutes and then we'll be back at the same time on Wednesday. Thanks for joining us. Bye bye. Oh
1: damn.